0: But I think I'd also become fed up, become fed up with being a victim, with no redress. And I think there was a part of me that just wanted to start addressing things on a direct and immediate basis. Kind of like, you screw me, I'm going to shoot you for it. That's the frame of mind I was in, Which is what happened.
1: Mass killer Doug Feldman describes why he went on a deadly shooting spree. Of course, It only makes sense in Fellman's twisted mind. Hello, I'm investigative reporter Robert Riggs with a story that's stranger than fiction from inside the yellow crime scene tape. This is a true crime reporter extra. A gunman on a black Harley Davidson motorcycle pulled alongside a tractor trailer rig rolling down Central Expressway toward the heart of downtown Dallas at night. The rider resembled Arnold Schwarzenegger, the cyborg assassin in the 1984 movie, The Terminator. He calmly pointed a nine millimeter pistol at the truck driver's side window. Flames erupted from its barrel as five deadly bullets left the gun's chamber. The truck's 36-year-old driver hung on for life long enough to steer the big rig to the side of the road and stop before hitting other vehicles. He was pronounced dead on arrival at a hospital emergency room. Police thought it was a case of road rage until a call came in 40 minutes later. A security camera at a gasoline filling station miles away captured a blurry image of a bearded, long-haired man riding a motorcycle up to the driver of an Exxon gasoline tanker truck who was unloading fuel. The motorcycle rider shot the 62-year-old driver to death. He never saw it coming. In the wake of the shootings, TV news stations played and replayed the security camera footage to try to get the public to identify the killer. Well, it turned out a Volkswagen car dealership located on the same highway had been shot up in the preceding weeks. A few days after the truck murders, a Land Rover rolled into the parking lot of a fast food restaurant. In broad daylight, its driver randomly shot a man talking on a payphone outside. The 33-year-old victim survived a gunshot wound in his chest and one in his leg. A witness jotted down the license plate number of the Land Rover and gave the police a description. Later, Dallas officers trailed the killer to his mother's apartment. They arrested 40-year-old Doug Fellman with a 9 millimeter pistol laying on the front seat beside him in plain view. Fellman had shaved off his long hair and beard following the news coverage. I interviewed Doug Fellman on Texas death row in November of 1999, one month after he had been convicted of capital murder and sentenced to die by lethal injection in the Texas death chamber.
0: But I think I would also become fed up become fed up with being a victim with no redress and I think there was a part of me that just wanted to just start addressing things on a direct and immediate basis kind of like you screw me I'm gonna shoot you for it uh-huh. that's the frame of mind I was in which is what happened
1: Feldman spoke to me from inside a wire cage in the death row visitation room at the Ellis prison unit He wore a white prison uniform. His black hair was cut short into a burr style. He appeared not to have shaven for a few days. Thick black eyebrows protruded above his blue-gray eyes, which darted from side to side. They weren't the dead, piercing, shark-like eyes that I was accustomed to seeing on serial killers that I had interviewed here. But like those killers there wasn't an ounce of remorse for the strangers that he had randomly killed. An angry, irrational rage boiled inside Feldman.
0: I think when you get to the point that I was, it's basically war. Basically, I'm declaring war. I mean, if I saw you on the street, I might have shot you. I might have shot that guy right there. I might have shot this guy right over here. Didn't really give a fuck. So, you know, I feel like I was exceedingly sparing... As I had 400 rounds of ammunition, I could have easily done a Benbrook. I could have easily shot 30 or 40 people before they caught me. You know, I shot those two guys and I got upset, you know, and I knew that was not the answer. So I quit. You know, I I don't know. I can't can't explain it.
1: It was at that moment that I realized I had made a mistake. Feldman had pointed at guards, at me, and at my 16-year-old son as the persons he would like to have killed on the spot that day. My son had asked to tag along to see what dad, the reporter, did for a living. Boy, did he find out. I had grown so numb to the gruesome, violent stories that I heard from inmates by the dozens inside Texas maximum security prisons that it didn't occur to me that an innocent teenager might not be ready for this. My son recently confided that it scared him to death. And I think you would have been scared hearing this.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's the way society works. I've got a legitimate gripe about the way I'm treated. Yeah. But I'm in here because it's my fault. That's the way society works. It puts you in a situation in which you can't really win or address the problem but if you do something about it take action or whatever then you're the criminal so it's my fault okay i told you there were going to be some parts that are going to make sense to you on
1: his resume Felban didn't fit the profile of a mass killer. He had received a Bachelor of Business degree from the upscale Southern Methodist University in Dallas. He had been a financial analyst for a health care management company, a workaholic, a financial wizard with the spreadsheets. A coworker said Felban was one of the funniest people he had ever met. His wife had divorced him four years earlier. And after the shooting, she said their two-year-long marriage had ended amicably... And she remembered Fellman as a wonderful person. We just weren't a match, she said. Fellman took the divorce hard, moved into an apartment where his cocaine-fueled parties established his reputation as a freewheeling ladies' man. But suddenly, he quit work and took off for South America. But friends said Falman did not come back the same. Once a penny pincher, Fellman bought a $19,000 Harley motorcycle and a Land Rover upon his return and dropped out of society.
0: It seemed like life was too difficult, it was too hard to earn money, too many people working against me, you know, in legitimate business interests. I don't know, life just seemed unfair, you know. I would see things on the news where people like JFK Jr. just had millions fall into their lap because their great-grandfather was some kind of robber baron you know, a hundred years ago. And so this guy grew up and went to fucking Yale and, or Harvard or wherever he went and has an airplane and flies out to fucking Nantucket and, you know, and has a condo in New York and one in San Francisco and one in Singapore or wherever. You know, and has a boat. And it's like, shit, you know, I'm sitting here working my ass off trying to stay out of trouble, you know, trying to do things the right way. And this guy just has some sort of Cinderella life. And at some very basic level, that really pissed me off. Because I worked hard. I mean, I worked hard. I made almost straight A's at SMU. Yeah.
1: But you know, hey, Doug, there are very few Cinderellas. (laughs) Yeah. Bullshit. Well, maybe
0: percentage-wise. You're probably right. I don't know. What about these 20-year-old kids who have a dot-com? I saw something in the paper the other day. Some 20-year-old kid started some dot-com, and now he has a fucking $3 million house in Sausalito, north of San Francisco, and he's sitting in a... I saw pictures of his room. He's got, like, walls of glass that look out over the forest. And I'm thinking, what 20-year-old kid deserves to have $100 million? I don't know.
1: But you'd like to. No,
0: No. not really. I mean it just I guess I was angry that everything that I had to try to accomplish was seemed to be so difficult. Well for other people it fell into their lap. And maybe that was my own mentality, my own fault. I mean, I know we're getting way off the topic.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I had a, I had an old boss one day. Uh, I worked in Congress, and I was railing about similar things. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, "Young man, who ever told you life was going to be fair?" <laughs> I didn't say I expected it to be fair. I just
0: maybe I would have, maybe I should have just pursued something I liked doing and just forgotten uh-huh. about it. But it seemed like the older I got, the more I learned about the way the world works you know the more paranoid or fearful i was that i wouldn't be okay financially in my future so when i finally realized all this stuff in my early 20s i thought well boy you better go get a career and you better go do something so that you'll have some reasonable expectation of having a stable future i mean that's what i did maybe i should have gone down to padre island and opened up a fishing store and said screw it you know if i make $100 a hundred dollars a it's you know but i get to wear sandals and shorts and you're happy yeah, I should've maybe I should have done that. So I have a hard time not faulting myself for taking that road. But I think if you grew up in modern society and you watch television, you know, all these made for T V movies with people struggling, you know, and ended up in poverty and all that stuff, you know, I know that's for entertainment value, but I mean TV T V came of age about the time that I was born,
1: fifty eight. Yeah. But you know, I mean, we're we're off the track here. But Doug, you know what what you accomplished? My gosh, getting through a place like SMU with straight A's you're way ahead of you're way ahead of the rest of the folks. I mean, I look at folks I grew up with, some of whom are in here, and uh, the other, you know, you're way ahead of the game. I guess.
0: I guess. I was.
1: After the slayings of the two truck drivers, detectives began running down the owners of Black Harley Motorcycles. They came knocking at the door of Feldman's apartment. Those detectives don't know how lucky they were that day.
0: Yeah, I wasn't ready to die. But I was damn sure angry enough to kill somebody else. (laughs) I almost shot those two detectives that day on my porch. They weren't wearing any body armor, and they were asking me a bunch of questions, and they came up there wearing their guns. You know, it was like they were looking for trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. And were you armed at the time? Oh, yeah. O- on your on your body? Or? Right there by the door. You so know? you could have got the drop on them? I don't
0: know. I don't know. I'm just... Uh, maybe they were right there, and I thought... I could see
1: where
0: it would go. Yeah. Well, it sounds like I think they ought to be wearing body armor. If I was a policeman and I was going to talk to somebody who was a murder suspect, I'd be wearing a bulletproof vest. You know? I can guarantee you.
1: While awaiting trial, Feldman wrote in one of 81 letters to a former girlfriend, I have come to hate every single person on this planet with all of my heart and soul. If I had a button which would kill every single person on this planet, I would push it with no hesitation whatsoever. The jury found Feldman guilty of capital murder in about 20 minutes. During the trial, Feldman interrupted testimony hurling profanities at the witnesses. He had been a ticking time bomb. The jury heard a long list about Feldman's earlier altercations. When he'd been asked to move the door of his Mercedes away from the side of a woman's car, he slammed the door into her car and sped away laughing. When Fellman rear-ended another motorist with his Land Rover, he jumped out with a ball-peen hammer in hand and smashed the car's hood, windshield, and the driver. During our interview in November of 1999, Fellman said he looked forward to his date with the executioner.
0: I don't know, some days I think it'd be nice just to shut my eyes and go to sleep and not have to listen to anybody's bullshit anymore. Not to listen to your voice or listen to somebody making noise, you know? don't really want to die, but <laughs> I'm not totally, you know, against it either.
1: <laughs> Fifteen years later, strapped to a gurney in the Texas death chamber, as lethal chemicals were about to flow into his arm, 55-year-old Douglas Fellman made his last statement with his victims' families looking on from behind one-way glass. He declared the truck drivers that he had murdered guilty of crimes that they had committed against him. I hereby sentence both of them to death, which I carried out in August of 1998. As of that time, the state of Texas has been holding me illegally in confinement and by force for 15 years. I hereby protest my pending execution and demand immediate relief, he said. Falman was pronounced dead 14 minutes later. We want to be your favorite true crime podcast. So please recommend us to your friends and leave a review wherever you listen. If you want to receive updates and bonus interviews, join our true crime community at truecrimereporter.com. If you have suggestions or know of a case that we should look into, email us at fan at truecrimereporter.com. This podcast is a trademarked and copyrighted news organization based in Dallas, Texas. You can read more about our news team at truecrimereporter.com. Thanks for listening to our Journey into Darkness.